Hey, go ahead and turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. I really want to encourage you to have a Bible. If you don't, uh, go grab one off the table in the back. I, want to, I just want to start out by re- reading the passage that we're going to deal with um, this morning. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 1. It says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Just as Janus and Jambres supposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil, evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Pray with me. Papa, I beg you to be so near right now. I beg that in these next moments that you would undo us I beg that in these next moments that we would see you and your word in ways that we have never, ever seen them before in all of our life. 
God, I beg that you would capture our hearts. God, that we would, from this day on, no longer come into this place and at this point in the service just sit back in our chair and say, here we go again, but that we would begin to be engaged by you and engage you as your word engages us. God, forgive us for thinking so little of you. Forgive us for thinking so little of this book that we hold in our hands. And God, I beg that by your massive love that you would gently call us to yourself. That your kindness as it always does, would lead us to repentance. And God, that we would see the massive, massive treasure that we have in you and in your word. God, I beg that you would be here now. And have your way in this time. In Christ's name. Amen. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie, The Book of Eli. A pretty cool film uh, with uh, Denzel Washington. Uh, basically, uh, I was going to show a couple clips. It ended up being too dark, so you couldn't see it. Um, basically, Denzel Washington is is in this film, and uh, it's post-apocalyptic time, and he has the one Bible left in the world, basically, is the way it's depicted. And he's giving his life to preserve that one Bible and get it west, where they can... Uh, hopefully make more copies of it and there's a bad guy that's in the film as as there always is and um and what what's incredible uh i i guess i i'll endorse it it's it's rated r it's got language in it um so uh you know be careful but it's very violent it is very violent um some of the violence is pretty cool but it's very violent so um just keep that in the back of your mind um anyway um we live in a day and age where the Word of God is becoming less and less and less and less and less meaningful. Okay, I, I, I grew up and was taught by my parents that you just believe it. Like, you just trust the book. It's God's Word. It is what it is. It's true you can believe it, and you just believe it. Unfortunately, I think my daughter's generation is going to have a lot harder time with that. So many in younger generations are just skeptical of anything of faith, and, and especially when it comes to, to this book, it's, it's just seen as, as history. It's just seen as something of the past that they put a leather cover on and they call it holy, but how do we know it's really from God? And how do we know it matters for our life? I mean, you, you go out on the street and you start asking people how, how they view the Bible, and they're like, you're going to base your life off of a book? That's ridiculous. Now, I've had conversations with, 
with different um, people that I'm fairly close with that are unbelievers, and their, their view is, I've, I've already read that. I don't need to read it again. So it has no bearing on who they are. And there's even many professing Christians, probably more so nominal Christians, who really, their view of the Bible is just, yeah, it's a, it's a good book that has some cool stuff in it, but it doesn't really bear weight on my life. And what's, what's crazy is that you and I are called to challenge that thinking. So here in this moment, we know that even in our own hearts, there's times when we're in opposition to this as our authority. We don't want to submit. It's a book. Well, it's not just a book. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But we, we don't want to just submit because we want to do our own thing. We want to have our own way. But at the same time, let me, let me back up and... Here's where I think the problem is. I think the reason why we don't understand what this book is about is because we don't understand what this book is about. Let me explain. Many people think that the Bible is all about them. You've heard, you've heard this type of thing like, the Bible is a roadmap for life. And it will guide you, and it's, you know, it's about what you should do and who you should be and where you should go. And, well, the problem with that is, I don't know what kind of roadmap you use, but there's some things that are just really vague in the Bible. And so, like, when I was deciding who I was going to marry, I couldn't open up the Bible and find a verse that said Daniel's name in it. It's just not there. It doesn't tell me. Um, what kind of car I should buy. It doesn't tell me the, you know, what house I should buy or if I should take out this loan specifically. Now, it, it does in, in part. It gives you wisdom and insight into that. But the problem is, is that the Bible isn't a book about us. It's a book about God. It's a book about God's plan of redemption that on every single page of the entire book is pictures and portraits and images that point to what? Christ. I mean, you start in the very beginning. In the very first pages of the Bible, you have, G, you have God active in the Garden of Eden engaging relationally Adam and Eve who fall into sin and then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you see a picture of the gospel. Okay? And so, this book is not about us. It's about God. It's about who He is and all that He has done, is doing, and will do for His name and His renown. The crazy thing is, is that God invites us to play a part. So we do come in at some point. He invites us to play a part. And part of that part that we play is seeking to bring people back. And what I want to challenge us to do this morning is bring us back to this book as authoritative 
So uh, we're, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The question is, how, how does the church do that? How, how do we actually challenge this view, even in many churches, that would call themselves Christian churches, would call themselves Bible churches, would really scrap much of what the Bible says, and in their preaching of it, and they're going through it, it's just kind of like, oh, well, this sounds good, and we'll pick this out, and we'll kind of lay things out the way we kind of want. Really advancing their own agenda, not advancing the Bible. Namely, God. So how do we do that? Um, just quick background, some of this will be review. Um, Second Timothy was written by Paul. Uh, Paul is in a Roman prison, okay? And this, scholars believe, is the final writing of Paul. Written to his son in the Lord, Timothy, who's a, a young minister, pastor. Um, and so Paul is in this letter giving final instructions before his death to leave Timothy with. And he's going to give some pretty significant things that we just read, and we're just going to walk through here in the next few minutes. I read 1 through 9, and we're not going to walk through that, but, but here's basically what 1 through 9 is. If you look at 1 through 9, it, it talks, you probably have a heading that says, Godless in the last days. Verses 1 through 9, you read some of those statements, and can we not say that that's somewhat of a description of our day? Now, I'm not one to, like, you know, predict, like, Jesus is coming back in a week, or, like, this is very much a picture of today. The, the ungodliness and some of the, just the brutal statements that, are, that depict wicked hearts, and at times our hearts. And then you come to verse 10. It says this, You, however, have followed my teaching. Notice the word however. So Paul basically is saying to Timothy, here's how the world will be, Timothy, you're going to be different. Here's the, the ungodliness, the wickedness, and even has the audacity to name a couple people, which is pretty bold. Like, here's some examples of, like, heretics. He names them. That's, like, you know, in the record forever. And then he says, but Timothy, you're going to be different. You, however, verse 10, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium, Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So basically Paul's like, Timothy, you're different because you've been following me as I've followed the Lord. Okay, keep going. And then he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, so here's the statement of Timothy, you're going to be different. Your agenda is going to be different. You're not going to live like the rest of these people that are described. But as for you, continue in what you've learned. And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. So 10 through 15 is what? It's reminding Timothy not to lose sight of his, his upbringing. It's like, here's, here's all that's happened in your life from here on out. 
from the past up until this point, here's all that's happened in your life. He's reminding him of his, of his upbringing, but keep going. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it, because he just talked about these guys who quit persevering in what they had learned. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, so here's what's happening. These sacred writings are what? Old Testament law. That Timothy was uh, raised under, that he was taught, and they really were sacred. And they viewed them as such, contrary to today. And he's saying, stay true to those. But then look at, look at how it continues. It says, with sacred, these sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So that's talking about the Old Testament law that makes you wise for salvation. Um, I, was, I was in Chicago. It's interesting. The Bible talks about how the law makes you conscious of your sin. Um, and and I, I learned this a little bit because uh, we're on the 17th floor of the Hyatt at McCormick Place in downtown Chicago. And the, win- there's this, the window is just huge. And it was great because Mikhail was, like, putting stickers all over it and, like, coloring on it, which wasn't good, um, and, like, wanting to jump. Um, and so there's a sign on the window that says, please do not open the window. I was like, for real? This thing opens? Like, we're on the 17th floor. And then there's little levers, and I'm like, they got to have this thing screwed shut. You know how most, most hotels, you, you go look at the window, and they got bolts in them. And, and so, like, I'm like, babe, take Mikhail over there real quick. So I start playing with the latches, and it's latched pretty tight. And I'm like, is this thing really open? So I start to push it, and the wind, like, starts shaking. Like, it starts opening. But I'm, I'm afraid that this thing's just going to, like, like as an, in an airplane or something, it's just going to, like, whoosh, whoosh, just suck it out, you know, <laughs> which so I was like, okay, I'm not going to open it. I'm not going to open it all the way. But what's interesting is I never thought about opening that window until I saw the sign that says, please do not open the window. And it's like, nice. I think I want to open the window. Like that's, well, that's what the law does. It exposes the wickedness of our heart. It exposes our sin and that's where the gospel, and that's where Christ comes in. But look at verse 16. And this is really going to inform a lot of what I want to do uh, here for the next few minutes. Uh, verse 16 and 17, it says this. And this is a passage that you've probably heard a billion times. Um, here's a billion and one. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Here's how I want to describe these two verses. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to explain this, okay? The inspired word presses on us with the intended result being to produce competent disciple-making disciples of Christ. That's my description of verse 16 and 17. Okay, now let me, let me explain. Notice verse 17 says that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. But in order for someone to become competent in something, 
it, it's going to take a process. Like you, you don't be, just become competent and good at something just without much work. Okay? Think about anything you have to train for, anything you have to do. In order to become skilled at it, it's going to take, take work. Okay? And that's what this is talking about. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Many people today do not believe this, okay? That I have in my hand actual words from God. This isn't man's writing. This is from God. Do you realize that? When you walk in these doors every Sunday morning, and you sit in these seats, and after the third song or whatever, one, Rick or I come up here, are, are you prepared to hear from God? Are you? And I love that Rachel came up and shared that. Like, I think that really kind of got us out of a funk. I think it just it challenged us to really engage God. We need those types of things. Because this is, this is the living God talking to us. This is, this is the living God revealing himself to us. And a lot of times we just view it as, as a book with words that cool stories that don't seem possible. But it's actually God's breathed out by God. Keep going. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Some of you would argue that pretty hardcore. You're like, yeah, the New Testament's profitable, but that Old Testament, that's so boring, and like, I can't even understand it. How is it profitable? Well, it says it is. And, and we learned that from Timothy's life that it was. All Scripture is profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? How does... A person become a competent disciple-making disciple of Christ? Let's talk real quick about these, these four things. Teaching, first thing, teaching. Um, this is a pretty common thing. Um, all of you have been exposed to this in some form or another. Um, in fact, probably many of you do this on a regular basis. Um, for those, some of you are in school, and so you experience teaching a lot. Some of you have kids, and so you're constantly teaching. You're, in fact, you think you're teaching way too much. Why don't they just get it? Um, well, you should never stop teaching, and you should never stop being taught. Um, what, what Paul is talking about to Timothy here is this. He's saying that teaching here is actually taking someone through the Scripture. Let me tell you a, a, something I learned in the past couple years. Um, I always wanted salvation and someone giving their life to Christ to be this supernatural deal where they were just this immature, moron, like, eighth grade kid that had no clue about God and did all kinds of stupid stuff. And then you, I just wanted to, like, tell them the gospel. And then they, like, came to Jesus and all of a sudden they were mature and they understood everything and they did what they were supposed to. Like that's how I had it set up in my mind. And it took like five years of teaching um, middle schoolers uh, and high schoolers to figure out that it just doesn't work that way. Not because God isn't capable of that, but because that's just not how he's designed it to work. 
Okay, I mean, I ask that question all the time. Like, why, why doesn't Mikhail get this? Like, I've told her 37,000 times. Why doesn't she get this? Well, it's part of teaching. Is, is, is it's a process, and what happens is the nature of discipleship is that when a person come, gives their life to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live within them, but they still have to deal with the struggles that they've come out of. They still have to work through that. There's still temptation, the same types of temptations that they were giving themselves to. Rarely ever are just, poof, gone. And you never have to deal with them. Rarely ever. I mean, I've heard of a couple random stories where that's the case, but rarely ever does it work that way. And so what's the point? How does this work? We teach them. We actually take the Bible and we open it and we say, here's who God is. Notice how I said here's who God is and not like here's how to do right. Here's what you should do and shouldn't do. No, here's who God is, which will inform how we should live. Reproof. Um, here's what reproof is. Maybe you've heard this term, maybe you haven't. Reproof is correcting wrong behavior. It deals more with, like, the action, the outward action. Um, listen to this, this quote by uh, this 19th century British theologian named Richard Trench. He says, uh, rebuking another with such effectual welding of the victorious arm of truth as to bring him not always to a confession, yet at least to conviction of his sin. So if you ever, like, corrected somebody, but it didn't produce a change in them, like this is like every day for me. Um, you correct somebody, but it doesn't produce a change. But a lot of times what the goal of reproof is to bring conviction. Is to open the eyes to, oh yeah, I, I probably shouldn't have done that. But it doesn't always bring about changed life. Even though that's the goal. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What is, it, what is that saying? Is that the scripture actually pierces our heart. That when we look at it, when we read it, it's going to press on us. It's going to expose areas of our life. It's going to expose misbehaviors. It's going to expose false doctrines. It's going to expose areas where we don't believe like we should. And it says that it brings us to the place where we're naked and laid bare before God. That's a humbling deal. Where we come to realize that I'm not all that great in and of myself. Correction. In secular Greek literature, oftentimes this, this would uh, be illustrative of this. Let's see. I'll just use this. Okay, so I have a chair. That's how a chair is supposed to sit, is it not? So this word in Greek literature, oftentimes, now you're awake, would illustrate 
taking something and returning it to its proper form. You see that? Okay, it's, it's like taking anything that needs to be corrected, needs to be changed, needs to be brought back. Okay, that has fallen over. We're going to fix that. Okay, that's what correction is. We do this all the time. It's a continual, continual process. Some of you love to do this. Some of you love to correct people, yet you are never, hardly ever willing to receive correction. But correction, that's a part of this process. Last one, training in righteousness. Think about that word training. Have you ever trained for something? Whether it was like an eating contest or a sport or an instrument uh, or something. It, it, took, it took time. It took process. It took all of the things we just mentioned. You had to learn about it. You had to learn proper form, proper technique. At times you had to be corrected in how you were doing it incorrectly. How you, you should do it differently. Okay, in order to bring about you doing it the proper way. Okay, and so this, this thing we call Christianity, the Christian life, when you look into your heart, dude, what do you see? When you, when you look into the mirror, what do you see? It's different than what we see. It is. You know yourself in a different way than, than everyone else knows you. Okay, and so what happens is God's word is going to come alongside you and it's going to expose areas of your life that God is calling you to him. Calling you to him. Calling you to him. Calling you to him. That's what it's going to do. But a lot of times we don't, we don't let it do that. We're not willing to be taught. We're not willing to receive reproof. We're not willing to receive correction. We just want to arrive. We just want to all of a sudden wake up one day and be godly and be all that God wants without any effort, without any hard work, without any sense of I have to actually do something. Yeah, you do. You actually do. John MacArthur is a pastor. Maybe you've heard of him before. He says this, uh, through the convincing and convicting power of the Holy Spirit, Scripture is God's own provision for every spiritual truth and moral principle that men need to be saved, to be equipped to live rightly in this present life, and to hear one day in the life to come, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Why was it that Timothy was being told all these things by Paul? Well, Paul was about ready to get to this place where where he could say, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Timothy wasn't there yet. So what it was going to take was actually someone coming alongside him and showing him how to do it. Are, Are you teachable? I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how many degrees you don't have. Are you teachable? Are you willing to be taught? I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. It's a huge deal. You can never be who God's calling you to be 
if you're not teachable, because if you're not teachable, you're not humble. You're not willing to learn. You should be willing to learn from anybody in this room. From anybody. Anybody you should be willing to learn. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. Now, this, is a, this is a crazy thing. The, the boldness of this claim, of this statement of I charge you. Paul is saying to Timothy, he's giving him this, this statement of you, you need to wake up. You need to actually get on the ball. You need to begin to see life differently. You ever, you ever been charged by something, by someone? He's giving him this statement, and what he's backing the statement with is this. It happens in the presence of God. So he's saying, I charge you in the presence of God. Now, some of you are sitting there right now, and here's what you're thinking. Well, Timothy's like a pastor, and I'm not a pastor so this doesn't really apply to me. But the problem with that is that while you might not have the title of a pastor, you're a minister. All of us are. We're all ministers of the gospel, and so these principles apply in some form to all of us. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but ministry, which isn't just my job, I hope that you view your workplace as a ministry, Okay? You do that in the sight of God. Like, when you go to your job, where, everywhere you go, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And then he goes on to use the statement, preach the word. That's a really scary deal. Let me just be honest here with you for a second, that's a really scary deal. Because here's what this saying. I heard, a, I heard a, a guy say it like this one time. It's one thing to preach before man. It's another thing to preach before the living God. That literally got me on my face this morning um, and humbled me a ton. But James puts it this way in chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's challenging, is it not? What does it mean to preach the word? Is it just what I'm doing here right now? Uh, I don't think so entirely. Uh, preaching ha- has this, basically this idea of, of heralding, of proclaiming, of using bold force. You're basically showing the authority of of what you're talking about. Not that I have authority, but that this book has authority. And so preaching carries that weight. Why does Paul tell Timothy to preach the word? Because people aren't. People aren't. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a was a medical doctor, uh, also a, a minister I think in the, in the 1920s. Here's a couple quotes by him. It says, The most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. Uh, 
Do you agree with that? The most urgent need in the church today is true preaching. He says the primary task of the Christ, of the church and Christian minister is the preaching of the word of God. Do you agree with that? And this next statement is pretty pretty heavy. It says to me the work of preaching is the highest and greatest and most glorious calling to which anyone can ever be called. Why? Why is it so important? I mean, go to the church down the street. Just start going to different churches and, and see what they're about. What are you going to find? You're going to find a ton of churches that what they do is they'll have a Bible because that's what a, you know Christians do. They have a Bible, and they'll open it up, and they'll read a verse or two, and then they'll close it, and then they'll expound their own thoughts about life. That's why Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. I want to be a church that preaches the word. I don't want to stand up here and give you my opinions and give you my thoughts. And if I ever start doing that, please say something to me. Because I don't have anything to offer you except this book. And that's what, that's what Paul's telling Timothy. But here's why people have stopped preaching the word. Because they've, they've failed to realize the authority of the Bible. When I truly know the authority of this book and that this actually is the word of God, what am I going to do? I'm sure not going to have anything I want to say. And that's where people miss it is we've pushed away the value of this book. That's why I talk all the time Maybe not all the time, but I'll start talking all the time about you actually having a Bible. I really struggle with, like, electronic Bibles. And it's just a personal thing. I'm not saying it's, like, a sinful thing to have an electronic Bible. But I really struggle with it. Just, just a personal confession. Not, like, for you to have one, but for me to have one. Because I, I want to write in my Bible. I want to mark it up. I, I want to be able to use it. Now, some of you are like, well, you can do that with an electronic one. Well, I just, I just can't get there. But anyway, um... That's why I encourage you to actually have a Bible in your lap on Sunday mornings when, when, we're, when we're going through this stuff and underline it and mark it. I can't tell you how helpful it is to, to have a marked up Bible, not just for the sake of like, hey, look, I have a marked up Bible, but it actually helps me understand and know it better. Some of us learn different, so that's just something you have to process through. That's just a, a resource. It's not necessarily like this is the rule. Okay. I want you to think back to the preaching of Christ, or to the, uh, to the ministry of Christ. What was it defined by? It was defined by preaching. Immediately after he started his ministry, what happened? In Matthew chapter 4, what did he do? It says this, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what, what is the point of preaching? I'm going to just give you a brief definition um, that I think the point of this time on Sundays, on Sunday mornings, should be about and then talk about it a little bit more the aim of preaching and i say in part um is because i think it has a couple different purposes but the aim that i see in this text this morning is this that the man of god may be competent equipped for every good work do you see that in the, at the end of chapter three so what's the goal of this time right here that you would 
grow closer to the Lord. That you would come to know the gospel, that it would penetrate your heart more and more every day. Some of you are very mature Christians. And I hope that that maturity leads you to still be a learner and not say, I pretty much know the deal. Because it's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place to be. Preach the word, verse 2. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We talked about the word reprove, the idea that it's exposing wrong behavior. The word rebuke is actually a, a harsher term that's doing what? It's exposing not, not a, a, the sinfulness of sin, but the sinfulness of, of the sinner. Okay, which cuts more at the heart, is a lot harsher, a lot stronger. Okay, so when, when preaching happens, here's what happens. You're, you're correcting not just like the outward behavior, but you're correcting heart issues. Which is really hard to do if you don't come into this place with your heart open to what God wants to do. Which is directly connected to you, to are you teachable, which is directly connected to do you believe the Bible has some say in your life or all say in your life? Do you believe God has say in your life? If you don't believe those things, then you're going to come in here just, this is just a social deal and I don't really need to do anything as long as at the end I just come up and do this little deal up here and then I look okay. That's obviously not the goal. But what is God doing in producing in us Christ-likeness? But also that being a means to us going out. Exhortation is the, the third one. You have two negatives, then you have a positive. This is the idea of coming alongside someone, loving them, encouraging them, pushing them. You never just pound somebody just for the sake of pounding them. Except when you're like a teenager and you can't stand your sister. But um, the goal of rebuke the goal of reproof is what? To restore. Always. If it's ever not, then we're missing it. And that's why it says exhortation. It's a spiritual charge with complete patience and teaching. Do you know that there's going to be times when you correct someone and they don't respond? Yeah. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It happens a lot. There's times when you will lovingly look someone in the eye and correct them. And they will get mad and angry and leave. Do you just give up? No, what does it say? With patience and teaching. So what do you do? Do you just go up to their face and say, you know, I think this, and you just kind of throw some words at them? No, what do you do? You actually show them biblically where they're wrong. Like, that's, that's the point of what we say when we talk about using God, the authoritative word of God to actually engage us.
Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Have you ever done this before? Um, you wanted something, and so you, you went. This is like when you're little. You obviously wouldn't do this now, some of you. Um, you wanted something, so you go to your, you, you went to mom, and you're like, mom, can I have this? Or can I, can I spend the night at so-and-so's house? And, and she's like, no. And so what do you do? You go to dad. Right? You've seen this. Some of you that have like, maybe like the chestnuts. Bakers, you've probably seen this in your kids. Um, my daughter's isn't doing this yet, but I guarantee you it's coming. Um, so how, how does that work? Well, mom says no. So, so you're going you're gonna to go to, to dad. Like that's exactly what it's talking about. Surrounding yourself with people that tell you what you want to hear. As if that's the point. As if that's the goal. It's really dangerous and actually goes on to say that will lead you into myths and destruction. Because what happens is this. We come to the Bible oftentimes looking for things we want to hear. And so we come with preconceived ideas. We come with preconceived conceptions about here's what the Bible says. And so I'm inform- my, my thoughts are informing the Scripture rather than the Scripture informing my thoughts. So I always come to the Word with the thought of, I might not be completely right on this. I'm teachable. Always. John MacArthur also says this, many churches today are filled to overflowing with those who want their ears tickled with the myths of easy believism and the many variations of selfism and so-called positive thinking. They come to have their egos fed and their sin approved, not to have their hearts cleansed and their souls saved. They want only to feel good, to be made good. Tragically, such myths serve to religiously insulate people from the true gospel and drive them still further from the Lord. I hope that when you come here every Sunday, you're, you're not looking for something that is easy to hear or that makes you feel good. Uh, that's, I'll just tell you, that's not my goal. When I'm preparing, I'm not thinking, uh, what's going to make Mike, is this going to make Mike feel good? I'm not thinking that. I love you, Mike, but I'm not thinking that. Not. That's not the goal to make you feel good. There's churches that are huge. Why? Because they're just hearing great things about how they're you're a good person and you know come to Jesus and all your troubles will go away and you know just all this crap that is not in the Bible at all. So what's the goal? I don't want to be that kind of church. I don't. I want to give you the Bible. I want to give you the gospel, and the gospel is offensive because it says you're a sinner going to hell apart from God's intervention in your life. Not apart from your intervention, apart from God's intervention. You're a sinner going to hell. That is offensive. That is not easy to hear. But the rest of the story is incredibly good news. And so you have so many churches that their their sermons... They're like little sermonettes. 
you know, they're like 15-minute deal. I don't know how they do that and get anywhere. Well, they're really not. You can't make any progress in such a short time. Let me just tell you, I'm just being a little open here. I, I at times, will work really hard to cut down the length of my message, and I, I just feel like I can't. Because I have, to, I have to lay things out a certain way in order to make certain points, in order to get somewhere. Do you understand that? And so when Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, he's not saying, well, you know, keep it to 15 minutes because people will get bored and, uh, you know, they'll get frustrated and then they'll leave your church. Well, then maybe they should. I'm not advocating people leaving because, you know. But, but do you understand what I'm saying? Is that this time, I firmly believe, should shape everything that we do as a church. This time on Sunday mornings. That's why it's on the front side of the bulletin. Because this is what it's all about. Not the messenger, the message. Why? Because this book points us to Christ. Because it does. Romans writes it this way. I'll end with this. Romans 15 verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Well, what's the hope? Well, the hope is Christ. So here's what I want to ask you. What authority does this have in your life? If you don't read it, it doesn't have any. If you don't read it for yourself, it doesn't have really any. And so if, that, if that's a rebuke, then that's a rebuke. If that's an encouragement, then that's an encouragement. So receive that however that looks. Okay, but... And, and then I want to ask this question. When you come here every Sunday, what are you looking for? What, what are you looking for? When the, the preaching of the word takes place, you know, what, what goes on in your mind? What goes on in your heart? Does, if it's me or if it's Rick, does that change things in your mind? Like, wh what does that look like? And do you actually come into this place expecting to meet with the Lord and praying that we will actually meet with Him? Uh, can I just tell you, that's what I pray all the time for this place. All the time. All the time. And I'm just like you, I don't want to be small forever. But maybe that's what God has for us. I don't know. But I'm saying, God, you got to do this. This is your deal. This isn't us. This isn't how what we can do as North Church. This is we want to be faithful to you. We want to be faithful to your word. We want to submit and give our lives to the scriptures.
Because in doing that, that's how we know God. And I know that I'm pressing on a lot of buttons right now in this regard. Pressing on my own, in my own just conviction of how, how well do you engage God? And so I just want to respond in those, in those thoughts. As, as we move forward and, and respond now, that's the question that I want you to allow God to probe your heart with. Is wh- what's the authority of the Bible in your life? And, and is that is that there? And I think we're all going to find in some regard that it's not there to the extent that it should be. So none of us, even myself, more so than probably many anyway, we're not there. And it looks different for different people. But what does that look like for you? God, I pray that right now in these moments, you would take the nonsense that's come out of my mouth, that's me, and remove it. And you would refine your message. God, uh, you got to do this in us because we're not good at doing it ourselves. And so I pray that right now that you would be faithful to your word as you always are, that you'd be faithful to your church as you always are. And God, that you would bring about repentance where that's necessary. You'd bring about encouragement where that's necessary. You'd bring about reproof and correction and rebuke, God, where that's necessary. And God, that this response time, that we wouldn't fabricate anything that we wouldn't try to place certain notes a certain way to create some certain mood, but that the Spirit of God would move. God, and that we would never be the same as a result of who you are right now in this moment and what you're doing in our hearts. God, you're good. And I thank you that you're faithful. And uh, God, I say, have your way. In Christ's name, amen.